Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, Mike Miller is taking the day off. Brian Kelly is taking the day off. So I'm Carol Daniel filling in. And about 15 minutes ago, this lovely woman came walking through the newsroom. We have not even been formally introduced. So we, this is happening live on KMOX, and it doesn't get any better than that when you get to meet a lovely person on KMOX Radio. Ma'am, you are? I, excuse me. My name is June Hudson, and I'm retired from Missouri Botanical Garden after 40 years of service. So it's my blood in my blood. In your blood. <laughs> yeah. When did you leave the garden? Uh, two, almost three years ago now. It's amazing how time flies. Did you ever see a striking young black man with dreadlocks working at the Botanical Garden? Oh, I saw a whole bunch of those, but it, it, was one he them, working? One of them was my husband. What's his name? Patrick Daniel. Oh, I knew him. Do you oh my, know? I did, yeah. Really? Yeah. Honestly? Honestly. You're, just not, you're not joking with no, me? No, no. He, really. he worked at the garden for, I think it was five years. That's a long time he now. He was on, um, I guess they call it the turf crew. Uh-huh. He was exactly. on the turf crew. And yeah. just loved it. Oh, that's so good. Loved it, loved it. And so you, you and I are here because Mike and Brian aren't, but we get to take your calls about what issue you may have. At 436-7900, that's the number. Th- that was such good timing. 436-7900 if you have a question about about your garden. And, and June, this time of year, some people might think, well, you know, it's going to snow tomorrow. Who's worried about the grass and the plants and the trees and the shrubs? But they should be. Well, exactly. But actually, snow is the best thing for uh, plants in the winter because it provides a blanket for them. And it stays at a steady temperature of 32. So if it gets a lot, lot colder, everything in your garden, you know, that not trees perhaps, but a lot of things are blanketed and really appreciate that cover. So when it snows, it's not, you know, just about you can't get out in the garden. The garden's really in good shape if it's got that covering on it. So when we see the snow, we might think, oh, I got to shovel that. I got to drive in that. But the vegetation is thinking, ooh, yummy, a blanket. It's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's one good thing about it anyway. <laughs> one good thing about it. Uh, I, and we were just mentioning that um, that my husband worked at the garden. He actually was, I think, he wasn't doing mulch, but I think we had such warm weather that the people's grass was still growing. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have this off and on weather in St. Louis, but... The grass still is, you know, fairly, fairly growing. The warm season grasses are dormant, but the cool season grasses really keep going, you know, for a lot of the cold weather. And what should people, you know, let's take a call and then I've got a question for you 
um, another one, June, about what people can be doing. Sure. But joining us from South County, Max is the first caller up on this Saturday afternoon. Max, welcome to the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Meet June Hudson. Hi, June. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, you're welcome. Hey, I got a comment to make about leaves and killing your lawn, okay? Uh, I see so many folks leaving their leaves on their lawn, uh, and I was wondering if you could talk about the diseases that can be caused and how it kills the grass. And uh, sometimes they mulch it, but the mulch is so heavy, I think it's got to be harder on the lawn to mulch a lot of leaves in. And then the worst thing is when the leaves blow on the neighbor's lawns. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's or even some, a bigger issue. Yeah. Should people some be, people, and how some do you people feel? just blow them out on the, lay them out on the street waiting that for the wind to blow them down. Super annoying. June, should people be mulching there? What do you well, think you know, it depends on the situation at hand, but truly some of the oak trees, you know, they, their leaves uh, take a long time to decompose. So you don't want to leave them piled up on your lawn. Um, you don't have to be a neatnik and have every leaf taken off. I mean, it's totally unnecessary. But if you get a, a, a like mulched uh, accumulation of leaves, especially like I said, oak leaves, you really need to get most of those off and um, make a compost pile. And you don't have to, you know, put them in bags and have them taken away if there's a place on your property that you can compost them that's the best thing to do with them but you're right the worst thing to do is to put them in the curb and have them stop up the sewers i saw that where i live and i had one night not too long ago i drove through about a foot of water because all the sewers were stopped up but it wasn't just people it was just nature had blown them in the street you know but to do that on purpose is really kind of inconsiderate of the rest of the world and uh, I have a big oak tree, and it was covering my entire lawn because I hadn't gotten away uh, around to uh, raking it yet. And then a big wind came in, and it did it. It blew most of them down the street. I felt kind of bad mm. in sort of a way. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're a neighbor. Yeah. You're a nice neighbor. Other people don't feel bad. Yeah, I felt kind of bad. There's, yeah. I, I, I draw, In the summer, spring and summer, you see people cutting, cutting their grass, and they cut the grass right into the street. Exactly. I'm thinking, isn't that, isn't that against the law, first of all? I don't know if it is or not. I don't know if it is or not, it is or not but, but it's not it's very incons- neighborly. It's inconsiderate. Uh, well, Max- uh, dr- yeah, addressing the, the disease part, yeah, if you... If you pile leaves too heavily in your garden area, then the the soil can't really breathe properly Mm -hmm. and some disease could occur in there. But if you mulch it just like about three or four inches, that's a perfect idea. And um, that actually decomposes in the bed and helps the organic matter accumulate in the soil. So, But too much is too much. Too much is too much of everything. Yeah. Unless it's love. Yeah, well, that's true. Let's head to Nicole. Max, thanks so much for the call. Nicole, you're next up on Total Information AM. It is the Garden Hotline. Mike Miller's on vacation, but we are blessed to have June Hudson with us. Okay. Good morning, June. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Hello. I'm very good. Thank you. Um, Can you hear me? Yes, go right ahead. Okay. I had a question, June, for you. I have a driveway with a silver maple on the east side that has been um, 
eroding a little bit around the roots. He had like a 12-foot area going down a slope towards the east side. And I did take out a silver maple on the north side in February that was dying. And I finally took it out. But I had a question as to what to do with that eroded area. I've been looking at it for too long and thinking I should put some sod down. I do aerate and reseed my kind of half acre in Webster. With George's Magic Mix, I use that and aerate and mulch. And actually, it looks like summertime right now. I'm looking at my backyard, and it looks like summer. Everything's so green. But I had a question as to what should I do where I see bare roots? I don't want to take the tree out, really. If you have any suggestions as to what I could do there besides putting sod down or trying to regrow grass. Okay, well... That's a very common question, but uh, fortunately, we've come to uh, learn that, you know, for one thing, a silver maple is always going to have roots showing. That's just the nature of the tree. I'm sure you would agree with that. But for the erosion part, and you don't want you don't want to put sod because it's never going to work. It's just too much competition with that tree. But what you can do is put ground cover down. Now, you can buy the ground cover in uh, flats or plugs, so to speak, and it's because you can't get in the ground with a very big plant. So you're going to have to approach this with something that starts out small, and you can make uh, just small planting area, I mean uh, holes for the plants around the tree, and they will be able to compete with the roots. There's one I would recommend. It's called Epimidium, and um, you can get that. At, pardon me? Is that with e- Ebo, with a Ebo, I'll, boy or E-P? Yeah, I'll it? spell it for you. It's E-P-I-M-E-D-I-U-M. And it's really a wonderful, attractive ground cover. The winter look is good. The summer has little flowers in the spring. The summer, it's green leaves. And it will compete with the dryness that occurs under your silver maple you might take a few years to get that developed, so check it out at your nursery, and um, that would be for planting in the spring. You can mulch oh. it, but it's, you know, it's it's futile, really. It's just the nature of the tree. You had the other one. You know that already. Okay, and I, I had one other idea, because I went out one time and volunteered to, I'm a kind of master gardener by training, but um, there are many more people without that certification who know more than me but Jason who used to do tulips in the garden he was out at the cemetery Bellefontaine yeah yeah Jason Delaney yeah and I went out there once and I helped him put in plugs of native prairie plants and I had he gave me a couple little grass grasses that I put out by my little kidney bean pond it's like a two by three foot pond and those have done really well they don't get big but yeah. would that work under a yeah, shady... Yeah, it's not really a grass, it's carex, C-A-R-E-X. There's a lot of, of uh, species of carex, and they're really, really popular. And a, okay. there are some, carex pennsylvanica, just like you think of the uh, state. Um, um, that is a very good one, and it also will compete. So it's a matter of what you think is a good look for you. You know, if that look appeals to you, certainly... Look up the carrots, and they are very available in nurseries now because of that popularity. So that's what Jason okay. did. 
Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. And how's your arm in the rain and how's your retirement? This is Nicole who updated the website with Glenn. Oh, well, hello. Um, I'm doing now okay. Thank you. I like to keep I like to keep connected to the industry because it's in my blood. That's so what I, she said. I All right. Thrive on that. Thank you. Nicole, thanks for asking about her health and thanks for calling us this morning. Okay. Thank you very much. Nice right. to hear your voice, June. Thank Bye-bye. you. I love the look of ground cover, by the way. I, yeah, it's I, great. Yes, I think so. We're going to take a quick break and come back. Mike is in Arnold. Carol's in Waterloo. You want to join in as well? June Hudson's in. For Mike Miller, it's the Garden Hotline. Give us a call at 314-436-7900. It's 818 at KMOX. 821 on this Saturday morning. It, some might say it's dreary, but I think it's just warm and wonderful probably because I'm inside filling in for Brian Kelly and I'm here with the lovely June Hudson who spent how many years at the Botanical Garden? I started when I was two, though. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a gifted toddler. That's what they said about you, June. So we are taking your questions uh, about your garden, about your lawn, about your landscape. 314-436-7900. Carol's in Waterloo. Carol, good morning to you. Good morning to you this morning. Such a lovely morning. Uh, But we're here. Anyway, I'm a novice orchid um, girl. I've just been messing with them for about maybe a year and a half, and I have some questions. Um, I have two of the miniatures and they're pushing out of the little pots that they're in. They've got so much root system. They were planted in sphagnum moss. And I read up online, and, and there's a, a question about, my question to you would be, would you change them to the bark, or would you leave them in sphagnum if you had to repot? I'm assuming I need to repot since these roots are pushing them out of their little pots. Sure. That's my one question. Okay. Well, Actually, you're you're right on with that. They are telling you that they need a little bit more uh, living room, although you know that they they really don't mind being root-bound, but there is a limit, and I think you're describing perhaps that you've reached that limit. So if you move it up, don't move them up to very much of a bigger pot, but definitely get them out of that sphagnum moss and into the orchid bark. You can get that at most uh, good uh, garden centers and... Um, they're, it's really not that expensive, but that's really what they should be grown in. So okay. um, that, that's the answer to that question. All right. Then my other question, my larger orchids, a couple of them, they kind of grow, the plant is growing at an angle instead of straight up and down. Is that normal for an orchid, or should I repot those and try to get them straightened up? What, could they be, re- <clears throat> excuse me, could they be reaching uh, for the sun? Is that an issue? I don't know. I have them in an east window, and they get light all day. Uh, they just would get a little bit morning sun. But I, they've been blooming good for me. Oh, well, hey. You know, I mean, well, you, I mean, I guess it's good because they bloom every about six months, something like that. That's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, that's absolutely they? good. You know, I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about that. You know, some of these, some of these um, orchids or epiphytes, or a lot of them are, where they... Uh, grow on trees and they they're actually hang down so they should be they could be exhibiting a natural tendency to you know hang over if it bothers you you could try to stake them up just a little bit and see if that works 
as long as you think it's not really the sun. They, I mean, they don't need a lot of really, really bright light, but they do need sunlight. And, you know, everybody says, you know, if you put them in a south window or whatever plant it is in the winter, that, you know, they'll get all the sun that they can. Well, as we look outside today, there's not much going on right. in the south as well as the north window. And that happens well, a lot in our winter. We don't have a lot of winter June, sun. Could there be Would anything you, above the plant and, and a carol? Above? Yeah, you could install a grow light if that suits your, you know, oh. where you are. Yeah, yeah, it really probably doesn't do much. I okay, know, is there any vent like... in your house? Is, does that happen to orchids? Do they not like any kind of breeze? They're so sensitive. Well, they are, right. really. But the proof is in the pudding, I think. They bloom. So an orchid that go. is blooming is not that unhappy. So I wouldn't be too quick to uh, change that. And if they increase in size like your other ones, your miniature ones, then perhaps that's the time to repot them. But I, I, what you're telling me sounds like that they're just kind of reaching for the sun. Oh, it could be that. But you, well, you wouldn't put orchids on a south. Are you saying you see, I have them on the east. I could put them in the south. Uh, but I thought that might burn them. I didn't know if you could. Well, for for uh, fall, winter, spring, the south winter would be fine. In the summer, oh. yes, it might be too much. Then you could either move them back or move them to a different oh. window. But, All yeah, right. the only time they're going to burn is in the, the middle of the summer when this, you know, it's really, really yeah. hot. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, but they're fine. In the south. Okay. Have I, can I ask you another question, or am I? Do I don't we have wanna... time for one more? One more. I'm getting the one All one right. finger, one up, one okay. finger. One more. Oh, I have you. Maidenhair fern. I'm ha- I have other ferns that I have good luck with. Those maidenhair ferns. Um, they seem like what I'm doing is keeping them on uh, um, pe- pebbles, you know, with water in there, mm-hmm. and and I um, water them when they need it. But it seems like they seem to um, dry some of the leaves on them. Is that just normal? Is it hard to raise them? Or, well, it's, I mean, it's not really that hard. But again, you know, you're taking them totally out of their element and using them as a house plant. Now, there are other varieties that can be used as a house plant. So it depends on which maidenhair fern you have. But you're doing uh, a good thing with the pebbles. But it may not be enough humidity. If you can, I know if it's by furniture, it's silly to tell people this, but if you can mist them, you know, once a day with a nice mist of water, uh, not not cold water, uh, tepid water, that might okay. alleviate the, the dryness. All right. I will do that. Okay. Easy, Easy enough, much. Carol. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Nice Thanks so with you. Thanks so much Bye-bye. for the call. And Anne's in North County. She's up next. We'll take a quick break. It's 827 at KMOX. And once again, Mike Miller is taking the day off. So June Hudson, who spent decades at the internationally known and renowned Missouri Botanical Garden, is with us today. Brian Kelly is also off. I'm Carol Daniel filling in. Know your ears are not deceiving you. <laughs> I'm here filling in for Brian. And you've been most patient waiting in North County. Welcome to KMOX. Hello. Um, I live in North County where the houses are very closely spaced together. And for the last, oh gosh, I'll say about two, three months, we've had moles. Um, Started between our two houses, our neighbor also had some, had mole problems. And it's pretty much 
mole activity has taken over our front and our backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried poison baits, the little worms, um, did nothing, castor oil pellets, the mole max. I put it throughout the front and the backyard. Um, that didn't really do much, and I, in fact, bought a trap, which is nearly impossible to pinpoint where, you know, the mole is actually going to be. And I've just pretty much thrown up my hands and um, figured I have no more front or back lawn. I have a mole sanctuary. (laughs) So um, what else is there to do? I've already had exterminators come over and give me uh, an estimate and I don't want to go that route because it's endless, um, you know, I, I don't know what you call it, where they come over and monitor and each one guaranteed that they they couldn't, you know, really um, guarantee that they could stop the mole activity permanently because they're territorial and they come back. So is there anything I can do? <laughs> wow, that that's... That's serious. I'm I'm sorry for you. That's a big problem. And it sounds like you did your homework and looked up various things to do. And quite frankly, uh, through the experience of dealing with similar situation, but not to that depth that you have, the, everything out there might work a little bit. Some of it doesn't work at all. It's all, a lot of it is old wives' tales. A lot of it is, you know, an attempt to do something now, the exterminator, I'm not quite sure about that, you know, for you, it might not be the answer. Traps are the only thing that's going to do the the moles in, but it's a long, arduous road, and they're hard to set, and then the results are you got to get rid of the mole that made its way to that trap. It's all so unpleasant. There are, there are exterminators, however, and I've got a vole problem. That's different. They're littler, but they eat plants. Voles eat... Um, Insects, they're not eating your plants. But at any rate, the the exterminating deal is that uh, some exterminators use a gas, and that's pretty well a uniform uh, exterminating technique that does a lot more than just applying more bait of some whatever kind. So you might do your homework and call a few and ask them about the gas. I know it sounds awful, and it is awful, but... Uh, for such a mass and you know uh, number of of moles, you're just you're not going to win in that direction. You're going to have to have help well, here. Yeah, I quite frankly, I've already spent quite quite a bit of money on this, and I just can't afford a professional exterminator because the ones that I've spoken to and they're reputable reputable ones, names that you would probably definitely recognize. They told me that this problem could come back. Come back. So it's it's just I just kind of wonder what's the point, you know, of, mm-hmm. of doing that. One or like I said, our houses. I've seen mole activity in my neighbor's yard over to the left of me. And you know, as I mentioned before, our neighbor to the right already had some mole activity. Now I've seen it go over to our neighbor to the left. Oh my goodness! And it's like. In the neighborhood, they're 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 just you know um, going from one yard to the next, but sure. it seems like they've made our front and backyard a main hub, and it's 
if I can tell, show you what it's like just trying to mow a lawn. Oh, my goodness. It's like going over the Rocky Mountains with oh. a lawnmower or try wow. attempting to. You so, know, a, t- um, we a lot had, of people identify with you right now. Yeah, exactly. We had a lady that um, she was the wife of the groundskeeper for many years at the garden, and she had a penchant for getting rid of moles. And I don't know if this would work for you, but she she was excellent at it. And um, anything you do to get rid of moles certainly has an unpleasant side, but she would take a hose and put it into where the ground was raised, obviously where a mole had been not too long in the past, and with a hard with the hard uh, pressure of the hose, it would flood the area out all their tunnels in a in a not you know forever, but in a, in an area, and they would some of them would arise to uh, get out of the way of the drowning, and then you dispose of them as they come up to the the top. You might. There'd be great satisfaction, I think, if you just make some headway. So I think if you try this uh, hose technique, it's something maybe you haven't tried before. See if that uh, you can get some to come up out of the ground, and then you have to deal with them, of course, before they go back. So uh, right. that's what she did. She was an yeah. expert at that. Right. Well. Do you have a pellet gun? The only the only other thing I might try is is to get some more traps. Traps are the answer. Awful, awful to look at. I know. I know. I mean, we really go out of our way to try and make it look as as good as we can. And now it's just, you know. um, Well, it's gotten out of hand. So, yeah, traps. traps, Anyway, yeah. Traps Uh, are the answer, for uh, you know, as opposed to anything um, else. I mean, as far as getting rid of them at this point, I'm so... uh, Frustrated, I really don't care about that aspect of it. If, I mean... I'll do it needs to do, to be done. It's just yeah, you just have to harden your heart to take care of it. But and as you do those traps, they'll become easier because then you will have become an expert at setting them, and that really yeah. does work. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate okay. your help. Take and care. Thank Good you luck. so much. It is eight thirty nine. June Hudson is with us, filling in for Mike Miller on the Garden Hotline three one four four three six seventy nine hundred. If you have a question, and Richard does, calling from South County. Richard, welcome to KMOX. Hi. All right, Richard, turn your radio down in the background there, so you listen to the phone and not the radio. Thank you so much. All right, he's he's taking care of that business, June. Okay. Yeah, whenever you call, that people do yeah, that all the time. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty common. Richard, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I, I do antique radios and uh, phonographs. Oh, I would love an antique radio. Well, I'm the guy. I got I got them for you if you if you want one. <laughs> What's your question? My question is: Every year, I have these weeping cherry trees. I have three of them. They're beautiful, uh, but every year uh, something attacks them. They get a whole bunch of holes in them. The leaves turn yellow and start to fall off. Uh, I was just wondering what kind of bug is eating them, and how can I uh, fix the situation? Well, um, cherries are, you know, as beautiful as they are, they are susceptible to certain diseases. And I would suggest, because you have three of them, and how big are they? How tall are they? Uh, one's pretty tall, probably about, I would say, 15 feet. Okay. And the other ones are, are very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. Well, what you need to do is call an arborist 
and they will suggest to you the most uh, effective uh, spray for the problem. There's there's some beetles that attract the leaves. There's actually uh, a disease or a fungal problem that it could be without seeing the leaves. You know, I don't want to pass judgment and have it be wrong for you. But uh, you need to uh, go to the Arborist Association and call them and have them make a, uh, uh, a trip and when, when this uh, problem is happening. And they will advise you what to do or they will do it for you, depending on, you know, your own situation. But without really looking at it, it's hard to say, but it probably needs to be taken care of in a professional manner since you've got one that is so tall. Yeah, just like uh, this... This seems to happen right after they lose their flowers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it might be just the time where this particular insect knows that, you know, there's a nice tree to eat on or the disease is in conditions that appear at that time of year. So either one, you you probably need a good diagnosis on the spot. I see. Okay. So, so get, a, get, a, get a consultant from a one of the arborists, but make sure that they're certified so you get one that knows what they're doing. Okay. All That's right. Great. And do, do what you can, Thank Richard, you. because I'm sure they are just gorgeous in your yard. Oh, they are. They're beautiful. I, I love them, really. I do. I have a, a beautiful garden, and uh, actually all around my house is oh. that way. I planted so many stuff uh, when I was younger. Sometimes I wish I never would have planted it all. <laughs> so say we all. <laughs> Maintenance. All right, Richard, yeah. thanks Thanks so much for the call. Okay, have a great uh, holiday. You Thank you, well. you too. Give us a call on the Garden Hotline. If you have a question because you planted a lot of stuff when you were younger, you need to know how to maintain it, 314-436-7900. We'll take your calls next. Uh, Linda, you are up next on KMOX. It's 843. Mike Miller is on vacation, taking the day off. So June Hudson is uh, blessing us. She's You've heard her voice before. If you listen to the Garden Hotline, she's filled in before. I'm Carol Daniel, in for Brian Kelly. You've heard my voice before, but not on a Saturday for a very, very long time. But it's so good to be with you this morning. So, June, as you might imagine, people heard the mole conversation. Oh, my goodness, yes. And we have uh, two in a row who want to give some advice. Fabulous. Let's go, yes, let's Fabulous. go first to Oakville. Linda, do you have advice or a horror story to share? Oh, both. <laughs> <laughs> to our backyard is, is just all up and down, you know, like the Rocky Mountains, like the uh, caller said. And we have to repair. We're going to repair it next spring. But we did get rid of the moles using these um, spear traps. But my friend, who also had a mole problem, she taught me really how to use those. And what you really need, what the lady really needs to do is go down through the mound of the dirt that's sticking up with a glove, you know, in her hand, rubber gloves or whatever, and find where the mole tunnel actually is. And you just feel down through there, and then you set the trap so that the spikes that go in the ground are not blocking the tunnel. They're like, you know, on the sides of the tunnel so that the spear will go down through the tunnel. That's a mistake I think we were making. So we caught several with the traps. But then the other thing we used was the brand name is Sweeney's Poison Mole Worms. And you have to use gloves with those. Gloves come with it so that it doesn't have the human scent when you put them in the ground. But, again, you do the same thing. You just go into the tunnel and push the worm, and you don't even have to use a whole worm. They're kind of, I mean, they're not expensive as a professional, but they may run like about $20 a box. But you can use just a piece of it, stick it down in the tunnel, and we've gotten rid of 
all the moles. I mean, our neighbors, I don't know, I don't think neighbors right next door have them, but they may have too, but we have not seen any new dirt raised up since we did both of those. How long ago did uh, you, you know, do both it? Both of those methods. Well, probably last year. I mean, okay. you know, it's been quite a while. We've had, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've seen any the whole summer or spring. I don't recall seeing any or this fall. Okay, victory so over the those moles. Two, pardon me? Victory over the moles. Victory. Yes, that's, that, right. that's good. She mentioned worms, and there are several brands of those worms. But you're absolutely right. It's the application that has to be correct. So I hope that that she was following the instructions on whatever kind she got. And uh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it was incorrect application that led it to not being so successful. Linda, thank you so much. Oh, go ahead, Linda. Can I ask a question, too? Okay, I have had success in the past with growing holiday cactus, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever they are. But I looked recently, I've not had success. I even had success in propagating a new one. But then I tend to try to overwater them. So I read some information online, and it said after they bloom, which mine has just finished blooming, I bought a new one again, and it just finished blooming, and it said don't water it for six weeks. Is that true? Do you want to let it get that dry? I think I tend, like I said, to overwater them, and they get um, wilted-looking. Yes. So well, I'll tell you. Really, I mean, I don't know if I've just you know, lost my mind or how to do these. No. I had, you know, great success with them in the past. Well, that I don't know about six weeks, but you do need to let them dry out for a long period. Remember that they are uh, a succulent sort of plant, and having said that, they don't need a lot of water. And when they do need water, they, I, I'm sure you've experienced this, the leaves get kind of shriveled, and that's the time when you, they're telling you, okay, now we need a drink. But I wait. I've got a couple of them too that are very old, and uh, overwatering. You've already experienced what happens then, and then the game is pretty much over. So, do that. Don't water it. And when it needs water, it's going to tell you because the leaves will get a little bit shrivelly. And then water it. And, and by God, much, don't don't leave it stand much, in water. I'm okay, sorry. Go. How much water do you put on? Some have said. Some things I've read have said kind of drench it and then, you know, don't let it sit in the water. But how much do you really put on when you do water it, yours? Okay. When you water it, water it till it comes out the holes in the bottom. And when you know that the water has come out the hole, you know it's got through the whole root system, and then you're done watering it. It's not a matter of a teaspoon or a cup. Yeah, and then wait till it dries out again. Much better idea. I know they like to kind of be root-bound, but... Like if they you do. ever repot yours, mine's in a plastic pot right now because I just bought it from a store. But do I want to repot it into clay or just let it go for a while? Clay's better because it's much more porous. They like that much better than a plastic pot that, you know, the sides of the pot doesn't breathe. So you're not getting a lot of action in the root system because it's in a plastic pot. So you can slip it out of there with not much of a bigger pot and just dribble a nice cactus mix potting soil. Don't don't get regular potting soil. Just get cactus mix, and th- okay. that would be better for the plant overall. Okay, thank you very much, June, and You're, Merry Christmas. Yeah, you Merry too. Merry Christmas to you, Linda. And let's go thank to, uh, is that Kathy in Overland? Yes, it is. All right, Hi, Kathy. June. Thank Hi. you so much for the call, Kathy. Okay, 
I've got a pink nepsitis, and it's pretty gigantic. It's in about 12-inch pots, and I've been there for a couple of years. And every time I bring it in in the wintertime, <clears throat> I have a plant grow light on it, but it still hangs down. It all flags. So I, I water it lightly, just in the part that's flagging all around the perimeter, and it's still flagging. It still looks like it just needs a good dose of water, but it just, it just still looks like terrible. I don't know what to do. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Knock it out of the pot and see if that there's more roots in soil. What it sounds like to me is that even though you're watering it uh, adequately, there's not enough soil to absorb it, and it's going straight through, and then the roots still are being deprived of water. You're probably right, but I'm hesitant because it's not the springtime. I know Mike always says always repot in the spring. Is this an exception to the rule? This is an exception to the rule. If you've got a plant that needs more water than it's getting, you've got an emergency situation. So, okay. yeah, do do it now. Okay, I, I appreciate that. That's I really okay. Love this plant. Good luck. Gorgeous. I love that plant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good uh-huh. luck. Thank you, Kathy. Let's head to Fenton next. And Vince, Vince, you're on KMOX with June. What's your question? Well, thank you. Hi, June. Hi. June, I had to call. I was driving around. I heard you talking about uh, putting hoses down into the ground. And uh, a few weeks ago, I called Mike Miller and told him I was doing that. He says, that's not going to work. Oh, well... You he know, says you can't drown them. He says. Oh, you, well, you no, know, they no, don't it drown. Yeah, wasn't that? No, they don't drown. You're not. The the point is, you're driving them out of their tunnels so they come above ground, and then you have to use your own method, whatever that might be. We're not all uh, strong uh, minded to endure what you probably have to do to kill them. But no, no, I want to let you know. The reason I was calling Mike is because they were tunneling so deep you couldn't reach them with traps. They were just tunneling, and then they were pushing up mounds of dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, at one time, they're right there, you know, where there's a mound of dirt. They're very active. That's where you head for whatever you're going to do is where you see new activity because that means they're traveling on and they're going to the top of the soil looking for more uh, bugs to eat because that's right. what they eat. So you have to pay attention, that's for sure, but you're absolutely right. And one thing I wanted to mention in the, in the spring, I put out a bunch of sod, and the sod was full of earthworms. And so the activity I started getting right after that was all in that area where the sod was. Well, they were smart, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, they, not uh, so much for you. Serving dinner. So, right. So I was uh, putting down this mold repellent you get at the garden shop, you know, on the sure. hose. Mm-hmm. That, and it seemed to, that seemed to dissuade them some. Good. Uh, Everything works a little bit, you know. There, There's a lot of remedies that people, I swear, for moles work. But, you know, the, the lady the lady that called seemed like that was like all of her yard. It was really kind of awful. The Rocky Mountains, yeah. she described it. But, well, Mike, uh, Mike gave me uh, very good advice. He said, sell your house and move. Oh, no. <laughs> all right, Vince. <laughs> okay. Well, you didn't. You didn't sell your house and no, move, No, I Vince. did not. I will not good. do that. But uh, thank but, you. Thank you so much, Vince. Okay. Thanks for calling. Uh, and, and to restate that story, that was someone who who was the wife of someone who worked at the garden, and that's what she used to do. Yes. She would flood the, the tunnels She'd wait. to drive them out, mm-hmm. not to drown them, but to drive them up. And mm-hmm. then 
some deal people with it. Deal with it. Yeah. Some people would yeah. She'd shoot look them for or whatever. Yeah. She would look for activity that was obviously new because that means they're closer to the surface. Because right. obviously, if you put them, if they're way deep, then you might not reach them in with such velocity of the hose of the water. Hose of the water. Yeah, right. but if they're right at the surface, then that distracts them and they try to get out. We have another hour to go. So if you didn't get your call in, if you didn't get your question in uh, this hour, you can with June Hudson next hour at 314-436-7900. It is the Garden Hotline. And June, is it poinsettia or poinsettia? Poinsettia. Setia. Come on, people. Come on. (laughs) That's the breaking news of the day. It is poinsettia. Okay. Do you have it? That's been a debate around the Americas for a very long time. June, wow. thank you for settling that. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad I could be divi- decisive in something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we wish it was that simple? <laughs> it is 8.56. Hour number two. Hour number two of the Garden Hotline. June Hudson is here in for Mike Miller. Many of you, if you've heard the Garden Hotline at all, she has is a familiar voice. Uh, many, 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 many years at the Missouri Botanical Garden. I'm Carol Daniel in for Brian Kelly. And June, thanks for sticking around for hour number two. We made it through one hour. I think that's just great. It went very fast. It did. Yeah. It did. So we're going to start off with Bob from Hillsboro. And if you want to join Bob, if you've got questions about your lawn, your plants, your shrubs, 314-436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. Bob, thanks for the call. Welcome to KMOX. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. I was just wondering your thoughts on using worm shockers to rid moles from your yard. Well, you know what? We had a uh, the gentleman here manning the station mention the subject matter of your call, and I thought, worm shockers, wow. So I looked up, you know, what, and I understand what they're really used for. I think if the wor- if the mole was in the... Uh, proximity of the area that the shocker uh, was applied for, it might. But that would be, you know, kind of a hit-and-miss situation. Not to say it wouldn't work, but, boy, if you had success with one, you'd go on. But you'd have to dig up then to see if it really shocked them. But um, go ahead. Oh, they work well. Yeah, I don't kill anything. I don't want to impale them or poison them or drown them. So you've actually done this? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, sure. I, I use my little worm shockers. The soil has to be wet. Today would be a perfect day. The soil has to be wet, and you just go out there and start probing around, and when the earth starts moving, those little moles, they come right up out of the ground, just like just like a worm. And then I take them, and then I move them somewhere else to the land of far, far away. I take them away, and then it just stuns them a little bit, and they just do their little moly thing. That is absolutely amazing. And all the times I've heard mole questions, that's never came up. Thank you so much for calling. I hope that lady's still listening. So that's an absolute. This almost sounded like a storybook to a land far, far away. Well, I don't want want to kill anything. So Mm -hmm. they come right out of the ground, and I just take them, and I take them far away from my yard. Go, here you go. Put them out in the woods somewhere. That's amazing. All right, That's amazing. Thank you for calling. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Let's go to Arnold. And, Mike, you're up next with June Hudson on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Good morning. Uh, morning. Good morning. I have a, a Japanese maple in my front yard. It's about 10 years old. It's maybe four foot tall by four foot wide. And uh, 
I was hoping to move to the other side of my yard. Is this possible? What are my odds? And uh, when's the best time to do it? Well, it can be done. However, uh, you uh, you know, maples are full of roots, so you've got to make sure that you get, you know, a good deal of the roots in the ball. You're going to have to ball and burlap that tree. Do you, do you have you okay. moved things before that you know what that is? Uh, I've seen them bald before. I, I, I guess I can Google all that and figure yeah. out how to do it. But, uh, well, yeah. you have to go way beyond the main trunk. And, uh, you know, I can't see. Your, how wide is it? How wide is probably, it? Probably four feet wide in some spots. Okay. Well, you're going to have to go maybe three foot wide at, you know, the least. I see. So it becomes uh, a, then a subject of practicality of how deep, how wide you can go physically and get it the mm-hmm. root ball out containing most of the tree's roots. The idea is you've got to get most of the tree's roots, you okay. know, <laughs> and move it, and that's not going to be an easy right. situation. Right. right. It's kind of in a squashed place, and it doesn't get the proper amount of sun, and I got I an ideal spot for it. I would love oh. to be able to keep it alive and move it. So, Well, uh, in the spring, don't do it now, of course, but in, in the, the spring... spring you know, if you still think you want to do that, then at, at least try to get it in a ball, and then you can slip some burlap. Look up ball and burlap. It'll give you a yeah, description I've, online. That's what yeah, you need to do. Too, so. Okay, it sounds good. I appreciate all your help. Okay, you're welcome. Good luck to you, Mike. Thank you. You guys have a nice day. You too. That's another one I love, a Japanese maple. Oh, they're so beautiful. They are just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I remember one year in our first house, my husband drove all over the bi-state area trying to, because the, the price range of the Japanese maples, we were stunned yeah. to find such a range. And I'm just going to throw these figures out. This just to describe the, the range, like one place was $40 and another was 80 that's how big. Oh my the, that's how big the range was. Wow! But they're they're just just beautiful. Yeah. If, if you have the yard, the right spot, right? The, and they do fairly well here. Yeah, you know, some beautiful specimens around. All right. Yeah. So last hour we settled the uh, poinsettia debate. It's not poinsettia, right? It's poinsettia, right? And so get ready because you're going to say that at a holiday gathering, and you're <laughs> going to get jumped on because people are going to think you're trying to be highfalutin. <laughs> by saying poinsettia. If, if, if your whole family has said poinsettia all your life, then you go to the dinner and you bring in your pie from Deerberg's or whatever from Schnooks and you say poinsettia, they're going to think, well, well, who do you? Well, la-di-da. <laughs> but June That's Hudson, funny. That's June funny. Hudson says it's poinsettia. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back with more of your calls on the Garden Hotline. What are you struggling with in your garden? June can help you. (laughs) You can. You can help. 314-436-7900. More with June next on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. Mike Miller is off today, and so June Hudson is with us, and Brian Kelly is off today. So I'm Carol Daniel filling in. I just got a text Several texts, as a matter of fact, um, from a friend. What did they do to get you to do the garden hotline? They just asked. That's all they did. They just asked me, and I said there yes. You go. That that very simple. And then uh, Mike Anderson, who is a producer here, pictures me hunting with a pellet gun. We were talking about the moles. My husband has a pellet gun. It's not mine. Uh, and then uh, Roger from Don Rogers Limited is listening to KMOX. Well, he's probably in the store by now. He's in the store now, but he was listening coming in this morning. Uh, so, June, 
two questions for you. Actually, three. Number one, someone wants to buy a plant as a gift for the holidays. Is there a good Christmas plant? And then number two, you, are you a master gardener or what is your title? I teach master gardeners. See, that's more than a, that's more than a master gardener. I teach them. <laughs> <laughs> I only say I, that because when I started, there was no master gardener program to be oh. in. So, and what you does know, that mean for? And we have some listening, as we know. But sure. Oh gosh. What yeah. does it mean to be a master gardener? Well, they go through a whole series of training seminars, and it's a rigorous program. And actually, it's a wonderful, wonderful program if you're interested in nature and gardening. You have to agree to volunteer at some place or some project ah. to give back what you've learned. But every year they have this class for, for about 60 people. And, um, they're, the, you know, it's a little bit of an older crowd. And, um, and so they have more time. And, well, yeah, yeah. And they're serious, serious, serious about wanting to learn. And they have people come in from all parts of the industry to teach them. Interesting. So it's it's a... And St. Louis is one of the best programs that there are. You know, it's connected with Missouri University. With the extension? Yes. Mm-hmm, the extension. And, and mm-hmm. so um, I asked, she teaches the Master Gardeners, and I asked that because many people know, have friends and, and married to loved ones and uh, who love to garden. And, you know, people don't want another pair of earrings or another tie. What do you get? What's a good gift for the for the gardener in your life, for the person who loves their, their yard? Well, if people don't already know what that is based on, you know, being part of the community that shares that information, one of the best presents that you can give a gardener is a soil knife. It's called a hori hori. Hori hori. Yes. And it's a knife when it's got serrated edges, but it's not just a thin knife. It's a wide, about a three inch uh, blade on a straight handle. And it's got a very uh, pointed end to it. And once you use that, you probably don't need much else for digging. I mean, unless it's a tree or a shrub, you'd be there all day. But for perennials or annuals, you just uh, use this as your trowel. But it's much more powerful than a trowel because you're using it with such velocity and you stab the soil and it's a great present. And I and we both are, Cole and I both are um, Googling these and... They are not expensive. No, they really aren't. The heavier the one you get, you need to kind of feel them because some of them have more weight to them than others. But um, you don't want a flimsy one because sooner right. or later that, that connection may break. So you don't want to go the more most inexpensive way. But there's a lot of good ones out there. And, and when I say, because that's relative, if I say not expensive, that is certainly relative. But... Um, the least expensive one I'm seeing, and Hori Hori, H-O-R-I. Yes. H-O-R-I, H-O-R-I, is $14, and the most expensive on this, what I'm looking at right now, is, is I see a $40 one, but REI is an expensive outdoor. I don't think you need to go quite yeah. that d- distance. Good but advice. Good yeah, advice. They're, they're available at all the garden centers. And um, so it's, it is, it is. we're looking at a snowstorm, um, cold weather is here. If people have not prepared uh, for prepared their beds, is it too late to do that? Well, it's not so, not too late, but actually, uh, with snow on them, just leave it alone. Like we said, it's a blanket; they're set. But in preparing, if you haven't done it in the fall, all you want to really do is keep the leaves from building up 
some leaves over the ground are a very good thing because they will decompose with the wet snow or cold weather and provide organic matter for your soil, which is the best. But if they're too thick, it does have somewhat of a uh, smothering effect on the bases of the plants. So you got to strike a happy ba- uh, balance. A couple inches of leaves, that's, that's fine. More than that, you need to kind of distribute them away from your flower beds. And someone, uh, I was talking to you, I should say, and you were at the garden for decades, but you still do. You're still working, still in the field. She said earlier it's in her blood. Last hour it's in her blood. So she's not going to stop anytime soon. But June, when you are out consulting and people want you to come to their home, are there some common questions that that you seem to find that that they have when when they invite you to their house to do a walk around? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you're giving advice to people at, at their gardens, the, one of the first questions you ask if they're if you're not there yet or you can't tell because it's a shady day, where, where, which area faces south, which area faces north, you would be surprised that people aren't sure about that. And that is tantamount to good growth of any plant to put ah. it in the right position. So you have to determine that and that. That kind of sets it up. Does that does that tell us that we have no sense of direction? It's somewhat that I'm saying that, yes. <laughs> June, what we know about June is that she is sweet. She is not going to say, you people out there do not know north from south. June, I'm I have I'm terrible. I have I once wanted to buy a car. We're gonna go to Nancy and Melville. I once wanted to buy a car because it had on the uh, was it on the rearview mirror? But it had a little, a little comp. Yeah. And I told Great. my husband, now you know I need that. And he said, we are not buying a car just because. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Nancy in Melville. Nancy, welcome to KMOX. What's your question for June? Well, thank you. And you ladies are having a good time, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. We are. I'm hoping you can answer my question. I understand exactly what you were saying about the leaves. My question is, I would like to... I'm novice, so amateur, whatever, not kind of beginner, whatever. I got a 14 by 20 garden. It does not do well, but the soil was tested and it's perfect. So I guess what I'm wanting to do next is purchase a composter, but I know there's so many choices out there and so many that could be overwhelming for someone who's just kind of getting into it like me. And we purchase a lot of organic fruits and vegetables and just the thought of the peelings and the scraps, throwing it in my trash. I'm like, I don't want to do that when I could be putting it in compost. I just was too overwhelmed with what kind do I get? And then I can always, once I master it, move on to bigger and better and whatever. Well, there's a lot of choices out there. And quite frankly, my experience is that if you start with a very small one, you outgrow it very quickly. Because you're going to make compost, you're going to add things to it, and it fills up. And then, you know, you're not—you described your garden, which sounds like it's it's a nice size, but it's, you know, not a giant acre property. So the smaller one might be okay, but I would I would buy for a medium-sized one. And you might want to investigate, <clears throat> can you possibly uh, do it in ground? Do you have a space to make a compost pile just on the ground somewhere in your garden? Um, well, how big would I have to, what kind of room would I have to make? Well, I'm just kind of making this up, but say like nine by, or let's see, six by eight, six, 
feet by eight feet? Do you have that yeah, somewhere? Yeah, I can probably use that from my garden because there was a lot of space that I didn't use this mm-hmm. past year. So, Well, honestly, it's it seems like I don't approve of composters, but I do, except you quickly outgrow their, you know, usefulness. But if you do it in the ground, you can get to it easy, you know. Okay. You can put what your, do I need, a pitchfork to turn yeah. it? Mm-hmm. You need a pitchfork. Oh, okay. And a shovel, maybe. And then you want to make sure that you cover any organic matter from your kitchen so you don't attract uh, pests okay. in the neighborhood. So cover that's an ongoing like thing. That would, cover or, with like what? Cover. Oh, cover it with the, with the uh, soil. Thank you. That gotcha. makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you no, cover no, no, it, it with sense. the soil. Just clarifying. Yes. Yeah, okay. and you have to continually, you know, make sure that you're not, not attracting the pests. Is there directions, or should I go to the Missouri Botanical Garden and have someone give me the shopping list of what I need to get for this compost thing? You know, they have one many, many wonderful handouts. So go to Garden Help okay. on the Garden uh, uh, website. You go to Gardening Help, and they'll come up with a bunch of handouts, and certainly, you know, composting is one of them. Right, because my concern, like you were saying, is to cover up the vegetation Mm -hmm. that I'm mixing with the soil is we have had our share of um, skunks. And you, we open the door and smell for skunks before oh my we gosh. let our dogs out. Oh, my gosh. They, they've been sprayed and stuff. So I'm like, you know, quit feeding the skunks. Sure. But, well, you know, yeah. your option may be better than since your description, you know, check into composters. I'm not an expert at what all is out there, but okay. make sure that whatever you, uh, you know, like or see is a good idea, mm-hmm. that you have easy access to turning it or it turns, you know, there's some apparatus that turns it for you. Because okay. turning it is key to getting it to continually decompose. Right. So you got to have okay. access to it. Some of them are more, you know, uh, harder to manipulate. Well, and then and then my husband is kind of like aesthetically, he doesn't probably like the look of it. That's why I'm like, well, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, in the ground, it's probably not the most aesthetic application, but it probably is the best. But yeah. um, there's some, you know, Gardner Supply, are you familiar with that company? If uh-huh. not, go online. They have a lot of different um, choices for composters. Okay. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you sure. so much. Sure. You're right. welcome. Thank you, Nancy. Bye. She could do the in-ground thing, put a fence around it, which might please her husband who's got an eye for, mm-hmm. you know, he wants symmetry. Right. Which and is that nothing would, wrong with that. That would keep a lot of piss out. Absolutely. Some climb. So that's, you know, the fences sort of have to be high. But Now, I hate to say add a but, but... If she already has an issue with skunks, I would just be nervous about... Yes, that's when she said that, I yes. realized, you know, you don't want to attract anything that wasn't already there, and now you have a worse problem. Um, do you have a rain barrel? No. That's another thing. You know, the rain barrels are great, and, mm-hmm. you know, water runoff today is the issue. So, um, but again, they're rather small, and you have to be active with them and use that rainwater so that it's distributed somewhere in your yard by a, a, a pipe or a faucet because if it fills up, it's got nowhere to go. Right. So you have to be proactive with the rain barrels. Think these things through. Yes. That's why June is with us today on the Garden <laughs> Hotline. You have a question. We're going to go to Judy next in Creefcourt. Take a quick break here first, though. Give us a call at 314-436-7900. Carol Daniel in for Brian Kelly. June Hudson in for Mike Miller on the Garden Hotline on KMOX. 
It is 9.35 on KMOX. Mike Miller is off today. June Hudson is in. Brian Kelly's off today. I'm Carol Daniel. Let's go back to the phones. 314-436-7900. Judy's in Creevecore. Judy, good morning. What's your question for June? I have three trees in the front yard that Euonymus and or Ivy have grown up. And I've been told by some people it doesn't hurt the tree. Other people say it's going to kill the tree. What is the answer? Well, if, if it gets up into the branch area, that's really not good for the tree because it's taking moisture out of smaller branches that really need it for the health of the tree. So have either one on of those trunk. gotten up that far? Well, they're all in the trunk, but they go all the way up to the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. Well, so. It's hard. It's hard now because it's gotten kind of out of hand. Is the tree healthy? Are the two trees healthy? Yeah, fairly healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could just cut it at the bottom and, you know. You could, that's what except. That's the yard guy wants to do. Well, that's what a lot of people do. And then, of course, it dies. And the thing of it is, is that you have to leave it alone for a while because the roots are still attached with life in them what's struggling now because they have no root system. But if you pull on that, you're dislodging the bark of the tree, which is not really what you want to do. But if you wait until, you know, it's uh, not been connected with the earth anymore and wait a bit, then it comes off easier. You may have to have an arborist go up to the tree in the, in the canopy of the tree and let him give you more advice as to, You know, if you kill it at the bottom, how long you can leave that before you can pull that off or have someone else do that? I just leave it and eventually it'll fall off? Not really. I mean, what will fall off are the leaves and the the root structure that's attached to the tree will remain. But if it's dead, it's at least not pulling moisture out of those branches, which is the worst idea. But on the trunk, you know, on the trunk, you can have it cut at the bottom, but you're going to have to look at that uh, dead material for quite some time. Yeah, that was my concern. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I guess he's, this one is right. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Judy. Let's go to Mary in University City. Mary, thanks for the call. You're on with June. What's your question? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is, you were just talking about um, winter, which is looks like it's right upon us here. I planted three crepe myrtles this fall and two viburnums. And the, the viburnums, I think, are native to Missouri. So um, I planted them really well. However, I haven't seemed to be able to get my act together to mulch them. <laughs> so, and I know crepe myrtles can be kind of iffy in Missouri. That's what I've heard. So is it too late to mulch, and how much should I mulch? And I did put leaves over the viburnums because I talked to Mike Miller, and he said cover them with some leaves that will help, like big oak leaves because I have a big oak tree in the front yard. Sure. So that's what I need advice on, the mulch. Sure. No, that that was really good advice Mike gave you because the the viburnums are, are, I don't know which they are, but you're telling me they're natives, but... Um, they're it, called nanny berries. Oh, okay, great. Oh, lovely. It's a lovely shrub. Yeah, well, yeah. What you want to do is, if you haven't already done, use some of your leaves around the uh, base of those uh, viburnums. That's a great idea. Don't make it too thick, about three inches, and you're good. 
Now, the crepe myrtles, you also want to mulch, but that does not uh, give you a sure shot of them coming back next year because you're right about the fact that they are kind of iffy in our area. We get complacent with global warming, I think, and because some winters, you know, they're perfectly alive. But because we don't always have that, sometimes crepe myrtles will die to the ground. Sometimes you'll lose them altogether. It just depends on when it gets cold and how cold it gets, which you have no control over. You can mulch them and then watch. Next year, you'll be able to tell right away if the stems, if you scratch on the stems and they're green, you're good to go. If the, the material underneath is brown, you may have lost them, but don't take them out. Just cut them back to green wood, if that's possible, or leave it alone and see where it sprouts. In all probability, even if it dies to the ground, the root system is intact and it will revive itself in one year. So oh, wow. that's how you handle it. So just, they're, they're nice in the winter. They give a nice uh, branchy effect. Don't just leave them alone. Then okay. the spring, watch for growth and where it is on the shrub, and then you'll know where to cut it back to. Okay. And um, put about two to three inches of mulch on yeah. them? Yeah, that's fine. That's just fine. It's not too late. No, no. Wait right. till the snow goes away because that's the best mulch of all. So uh-huh. when, once that's gone, then you need to apply an organic mulch, whether it's from your home or whatever. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we have a community mulch garden oh. in University City. Awesome. So. Oh, I know you do. That's great. That's the way yeah. they roll in U City. Yeah. 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 It's great. It they is great. Mulch and wood chips. They got big piles of it in the park. Oh my gosh! Lucky you. Thank you I so know. much. I know it's fantastic. I just have to get over there and get it. <laughs> Bring it back here. Um, they're in a somewhat protected area too, because there's like privacy fence there, which mm-hmm. isn't great. I it might help. Plenty of air circulation, but it kind of protects them from being. Sure. Well, cold. obviously that will help. So you just said depends on the weather or winter. We don't know what's ahead uh-huh. of us for the rest of the winter. So. And but, the viburnums would be okay with oh, yeah, the oak leaves over them. Yes, they'll be fine. Oh, okay, great. And what was that blade you were talking about? The hori hori. Uh, it's called a soil knife. A soil knife. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Be, be. And most would garden centers carry that? Absolutely, absolutely. And Even the box hori stores hori. have them. Yes. Right. That sounds interesting. So you loosen the soil with that before oh, yeah. you get ready to plant something. You will not use anything else once you master it. It's a great cool. tool. Okay, I'll have to try that. Yeah, I do. All right. Thank well, you so much. Thanks a lot for answering my questions. That's it okay. Like I have one more, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Everything uh, else is mulched in, I think. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And have you're a good welcome. holiday season. You yeah, too. You Take too. care, Mary. Let's go to Peggy in Ferguson. Peggy, thanks so much for holding. Uh, yes, I have a question about Christmas cactus. I uh, just discovered this year, uh, which everybody else knew, I guess, that there are Thanksgiving cactus and Easter cactus and Christmas cactus. Uh, It seems like all I can find are the Thanksgiving cactus, which are lovely. They bloom, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But where would I go to buy uh, a, a true Christmas cactus and a true Easter cactus? Well, the fact of the matter is that they vary the uh, differences bet- among them are kind of subtle. They do change right. in bloom time, and that's the main thing. But what you're going to find a lot, and you're right, in the uh, garden centers or wherever, they mo- a lot of them are Thanksgiving cactus, so you have to kind of look around. 
there are some pretty good uh, indoor uh, plant garden centers that have a variety of things. And um, so uh, where do you live in Ferguson? Or? Yes. I see. Okay. Yes. Um, not, I don't know. If, I'm not from Ferguson. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with everything out there. But um, Garden Heights on Big Bend has a great conservatory, Greenscape on Baird Station Road, and Bowood on Olive Boulevard in the city has the most comprehensive uh, indoor display sales area. So you might call them if you don't want to run around and see if you can locate them. But, you know, you're right. You don't see a lot of variety in the stores. I think it's what's better mass-produced that we see the most of. But give them a call. How do you... Thank you. How do you spell the last one on olive? Oh, Bowood, B-O-W-O-O-D. Wonderful place. Yeah, it's great. Okay, thank you. I will check that out. I okay. Your help. Good luck. Thank you so much, Peggy. We're going to take a quick break. Isn't there a restaurant? There's a Oh, right. yeah, right. In, in Bowood Farms. Oh, Cafe Osage. It's Cafe Osage. Oh, awesome. That's the best breakfast. Yeah. And I am a really breakfast. Really good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> June Hudson is with us for the Garden Hotline. We've got a little more time left. We're going to try to get to everybody. Got a couple of calls in Kirkwood and one in Belleville. We'll get to you next on KMOX. June Hudson in for Mike Miller. It's 947. Let's try to get the, all of these calls in, June, shall we? Let's sure. go to Bob in Kirkwood. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this is about poinsettia. This will be uh, my Bob. first Christmas without my wife. Oh, Bob, I know who's calling, Bob. We love you. And, <clears throat> and, and then so I can say this to Bob because he's a friend of KMOX. June, Bob, has told us how to say that plant. Well, l- l- yeah, that's my question. I'm going to go. She loved poinsettia plants. And I'm going to go get several poinsettia plants for the house And my question is, what's the best way to keep them alive for a long period of time? Oh, that's so nice. We were surprised we didn't get that question earlier. So it's a good question. Um, Okay, well, the main thing is, first of all, when you buy it, wherever you buy it, make sure that they wrap it and you don't go out in cold weather with the poinsettia unwrapped because Mm -hmm. that's instant death. They They hate cold weather. So make sure it's wrapped adequately before you take it out. When you get it home, take take off the foil bottom, if that's how it comes, and make sure that it's uh, moist. It likes to be evenly moist, but again, no, no uh, standing in water. So if you replace that foil bottom, uh, make sure you take it off when you water it because you want the water to go straight through. What poinsettias really hate are drafts, whether that's hot weather, hot, hot draft from a, a heating uh, source, or absolutely away from any door where it might get a draft when people go in and out. That's the death knell for most of the poinsettias. Other than that, they like to be in a sunny window. Not so easy in huh, for a while, but at any rate, the sunniest part that you have, and um, evenly moist, and it should last for a very long time. Don't let it wilt, because then it'll lose some leaves in the process of regenerating itself when you water it. So you have to be on on tap to give it uh, water when it needs it and just put your finger in the soil and make sure that you feel wetness, and then that's okay, but never again let the water stand. So About about how long, uh, how often should you water it? Good question. Yeah, that is a good question. You know what? People want to know how often you water. You have to learn the feel of the soil. It's not how often it's 
your uh, observation of what's wet and what's dry. If you poke your finger in the soil, if you can get it in there and it feels dry, you water it. If it feels wet, you wait till it feels a little bit drier. And when you water it, do you... um you want you probably don't want to overwater the soil. Is that correct? You water it until it comes out the bottom. When oh, okay. it comes out the All bottom, right. you know you've got it through the whole root ball. Very good. Thank you for your help. You're more than welcome. Right, good Bob. luck. Take care. You bet. All right. Next to Barbara in Belleville. Barbara, you're on KMOX. Thank you so much for the call. I thank you very much for uh, your service. Um, I have a quick question. I have an infestation of creeping Charlie or ground ivy in a uh-huh. section of my lawn, and I was wondering what the best method to get rid of it would be. Okay, well, we're in that that club together. I swear that's how I'm going to die. Somebody's going to find me in my garden, <laughs> having spent yet many hours taking out ground ivy with no success other than personal success of seeing it in the bucket. So I can empathize with you greatly. <laughs> you did uh, sigh when she said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, there are a, a couple. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't like to use chemicals. I just really. I do I. No. Okay. So you're stuck. You're stuck with hand pulling and you're not really getting it out. But there are a couple of um, herbicides that um, you have to Google it and make sure you get the right one. I don't like to give that information out because I don't want to make... A mistake. Maybe there's better ones that out now. They're continually changing, and there are those uh, uh, herbicides that are specific for certain weeds, and that would be ground ivy. So if you're not into great contemplation on, you know, being out in your yard for hours at a time pulling this out, you really have to treat it chemically. That's the only other answer. Okay. Well, I've already tried the pulling, and it didn't really work. So. I know, I know. I can, I can, I can feel your pain. So, if you're, you have something better to do with your time, you might just this one time decide to treat it chemically, and then you'll be rid of it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're well, you're more than welcome. Yours. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. Uh, and to reiterate, um, if you're buying a gift because someone did want to know how to the hori hori knife, hori hori knife that you said, June, don't spend a lot of money because I'm seeing, well, the $75 one from Gardner's Edge comes with uh, an, an another tool, but you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. Not not that much, yeah. no. There's many, many varieties of it. All right, let's go to, is that Melville? Flora? Yes, let's go to Flora in St. Peter's. Flora, thank you so much for your call. Hi. Hi. Uh, I was going to I've been hearing a lot about... Um, Christmas cactuses and stuff this morning, and I know that um, I got one of those spring cactuses in uh, the Botanical Gardens gift shop, and they're they're different than the they are all classes. They're real wide leafed, and they have like more, maybe four or five blooms mm-hmm. on each mm-hmm. end, and uh, so that was where I saw them last time. However, now I wanted to tell you how I water my plants. What I do is I get me a uh, sink, and I put my water with my fertilizer in it, and I set my plants in there, and I let, I walk away, set my timer for 20 minutes, and then whenever the 20 minutes is up, I take those plants out, and I set them in a tray and let them drain till there's nothing coming out the bottom, and then I put them wherever I want to put them. And I do that about once a week, and... 
that really works good. I raise a lot of orchids and I raise a lot of Christmas cactus, and um, they just never seem to dry out whenever I do that. So that's just wonderful. My goodness, everyone should pay as much attention to their plants as you are. That is absolutely wonderful. How much pleasure that gives you too. I'm sure. Yeah, I I get my orchids blooming all around the year, and oh gosh, I, I have them in a light system in the basement. So that I can do that too. So yeah, it's the best anyway, idea. That, I was just suggesting that uh, that really works for me because I don't have to worry about feeling the soil or sure, or sure. Well, you've got it down. You know, you you know this. You know the uh, symptoms of when they need water. So you're on it. That's okay. a great idea. Thank have you so great, much. Have a great day. You Bye-bye. too, Flora. Let's go to South County, Joanne. You're on the Garden Hotline on KMOX with June Hudson. What's your question? Hi, Julie. Thank you for taking my call. June. I would like mm-hmm. to find out how often do you water uh, like a 10-inch poinsettia plant? Okay. Well, what you need to do is uh, get to know how the soil feels when it's adequately moist. That would be after you've watered it and it ran out the bottom. You want to make sure you get the whole root ball wet. So once you know that and the water comes out of the holes at the bottom, it is well watered. So now the the question is, when do you water it again? You feel the soil. You feel the soil with your finger, and if you feel moisture in there, you let it go for a little longer. So you got to learn the feel of how it feels when it's moist when it's moist enough not to need water. So if it looks dry or the soil is pulling away from the side of the pot, then you need a good watering. So water it thoroughly, but don't let it stand in any water in a saucer or anything especially that foil covering they come with. Take that off, huh? Take that. Well, you can put it back on after you water because it's pretty, but you don't, want, you don't want water to accumulate inside of that. Well, you could punch a little hole in the bottom of it and let it drain. Then, you right? could, you could, and then as long as you don't, you know, you take it to the sink to do that, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. That'll be great. Thank you very much. You're Thank more than you, welcome. Uh, the last question of the day is a confirmation. My husband said to our boys, that when the snow falls, and it's going to snow Sunday night into Monday, do not walk across the snow, Absolutely. across the grass. Right Now, some are thinking you just don't want footprints in the snow, but it's not about that. You're hurting the grass below. You are. You are. We've seen it's, it's actually worse when you have a, a hard freeze and there's a lot of frost on the grass. That's the absolute worst time to go on. Because the, the grass is frozen. Because the grass is frozen, and the you kill it when you walk on it. And as we were talking earlier, you notice that when the snow or frost is gone, you have dead grass. All right. I thought he was just being fussy, but he was telling the truth. Thank you so much, June. It's so oh, good to spend time welcome. with you. Yes, thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.